Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I want to say a couple things here. First of all, Merry Christmas. I'm going to say that several more times, and here's the reason why. Um, there was a comedian I read of recently, a female comedian, who uh, well, on her way out of her office um, said Merry Christmas to someone and went on her way and then was reported to HR for saying Merry Christmas. I think that's insane. So, Merry Christmas. We can do that here. Um, want to kind of walk you through a few things here in this wrap-up of this Song of Hope series. And this one's in the midst of darkness, and it's not near as scary as it sounds. Um, I, I want to read you one of my favorite passages of the Christmas story, and Luke is a great passage, and, and Matthew with the shepherds. All those are just fantastic passages, and we hear about those. But this one is to me one of the most powerful, and I'm hoping as we walk through this, you'll catch some of the power of this. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in the beginning, catch that phrase, in the beginning, it's the very similar phrase to what you see at the very front part of the Bible. And so after 400 years of silence, the scriptures open up again with this refrain of in the beginning. That's really important to take note of. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, it's talking about all this word stuff, and I was really intrigued recently, and I realized John is talking about a philosophical concept. For the Greeks of John's day, the logos, or the word, was used pretty often, and for the um, philosopher Heraclitus, the logos, or the word, was this rational principle behind the universe. The word was the source of life, that which gives life its reasonableness. For the Stoic philosophers, the Logos or the Word was the integrating principle behind the universe, that which makes the laws of nature, that which maintains order and gives nature its unity and coherence. So in the beginning was this rational integrating principle, he's saying. And the rational integrating principle was with God, and the rational integrating principle was God. And all things that came into being by the rational integrating principle and the rational integration became flesh and dwelt among us, is what he's saying here. For the Jewish philosopher, Philo of Alexandria, the Logos, or the Word, was the agent of creation, the medium of divine activity in the world. And even though for Philo, the Logos, or the Word, was impersonal, it was a force, it wasn't an individual, he called the Logos, or he called the Word, quote, the captain and pilot of the universe captain and pilot of the universe. So in the beginning was the captain and pilot of the universe. I agree, says Philo. And the captain and the pilot of the universe was with God. I agree, would say Philo. And the captain and the pilot was God. What? 
Philo would not have said that. And that the captain of the pilot of the universe became flesh and dwelt among us? Radical thought. For most of the Jews of John's day, the Logos was that by which the living God communicates with humanity. The Logos wasn't, or the word wasn't personal in any way. Yet it was the vehicle by which the personal God communicated and created. Now here's the thing that's intriguing to me on this. I'm just running through, through like three or four different philosophers from three or four different streams of thought, all of which ties into the statement of the word translated as the, or the Logos translated as the word that John's talking about. Here's what catches me on this. John never went to Harvard or Yale. Not even the University of Michigan. Not even that, 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 that benighted place, Michigan State. He never went to any one of those. He was an uneducated fisherman. Where does he come up with this stuff? Think about that. He was a completely uneducated fisherman. And he's talking about, in the beginning was the Word, and, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the very beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And then this part, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, or has not understood it, or cannot comprehend it, or cannot put it out. That's what this light that shines in the darkness. I have been fascinated with light since I was a kid. I don't know if it's because being exposed to scriptures like this, but I have roughly 15,000 flashlights <laughs> of various sizes. And, and that my, my favorite is a one million candle power that you can plug into your car, drains the battery in a second. <laughs> Those things and, and communication devices, walkie-talkies, everything else like that, now cell phones always intrigue me. There's something about coming into a dark place and being able to bring light to it. We use light for a lot of different reasons, interestingly enough. I don't know if we've really processed this. One of the ways, and I want to show you a few of these, one of the ways we, we, we show it is to celebrate, just like with fireworks and stuff. We, we use light. I mean, can you imagine if those actually didn't express light, how boring that would be? You wouldn't even see the trail of fire going up. And if it was a black burst, what would you see? Unless it was daylight, especially at night, you'd see nothing. There's, there's light that we use to celebrate. We use light to communicate, like a signal lamp on a, on a ship. We've used it with reflecting mirrors in days past. And so we communicate with light. Dash, dot, dash. One of my flashlights actually does that. It'll actually do a little bit of a Morse code thing. It's not my favorite, but it's pretty cool. We use light... And I was always intrigued as a kid with lasers. And especially what we can do nowadays with these lasers, these light amplified by the simulated emission of radiation. We can, we can measure vast distances. In fact, most of our distances we reg register, the vast ones, by light years. We talk about the speed of light being a constant. So we use it for velocity. We use it to measure things, even for, for like they, they, when the Apollo project, for those of you who are still questioning the whole moon landing thing, they actually put mirrors up there and we use lasers aligned with them to reflect off of the moon to measure the distance and the variation of what's going on up there. We use the lasers now powered up to actually cut things and to create things. So with light, we can actually cut 
vaporize things. We use light to guide us, especially ships at sea. We use the light to guide us and to warn us of the, of the problems and the issues that are out there. There's a multiplicity. I could go on and on of different ways we use light, but, but I think the one that is most profound to us probably is that we see by light. We're in a dark place. We can't see without, without radiation reflecting off something and bouncing back to our eyes. Without that, we're in darkness and we can't even see what's going on around us or comprehend that. Bump into things, fall over, hit things. All these things, whether it's to celebrate, communicate, to measure, to guide us, to protect us. But the biggest thing I think of all is to see. I want to show you one other picture and then one more before we end the day a little later here. Um, I don't want to scare you guys with that whole idea of a day. We're talking a few minutes. Okay, guys. Um, this is an old miner's hat with what is viewed as a, referred to as a carbide light. Miners would wear this and they'd go um, underground and uh, how many of you have ever actually been in a cave? How many of you turned the lights off when you were there? You were completely in dark. You are brave souls. A little messed up, but brave. My grandfather was a coal miner. And um, he was an alcoholic until he came to Christ. I remember going back and I, I had a link to Ancestry.com one time. They sent me something. I thought it was a freebie. So I clicked on it and I saw a census from early in the 1900s um, of the town that my grandfather and my father grew up in, rather. And it was a little town called Cairnbrook, which is near Central City, which is near Johnstown. It's, it's practically non-existent. And... Um, I looked at the census, and, and it was interesting because they, they had everybody listed, including their kids, they had their occupations, and then they had how much they had made in that year. And everybody had the same occupation except for one person. They were all coal miners. Everyone had the same amount that they had earned except for two people. There was one coal miner that was above the others um, for a reason, and there was the bartender at the local hotel. Now, the one that was above the others was my grandfather. He earned more than the others for a certain reason here. And I figure the bartender was actually probably getting most of my grandfather's money, and that's why he was raised up as high as he was. My grandfather comes to Christ, gets radically changed, and uh, ceases being the alcoholic that he was. As my father grew up, and uh, graduate from high school, he was in the coal mines with my dad at one point in time, and I remember him telling me the story. Because my grandfather had a special role, and, and it was dangerous, and that's why he got the extra money. After everybody had worked the seam of coal for whatever period of time, months, years, whatever it was, and it was starting to peter out, or become too dangerous to work, he would go in um, with a helper, and they would get the last little bit of coal out, just the last little bit. And they would put up these wooden beams to support in this low cavern type thing. I, I, I would have gone crazy, very claustrophobic, very deep under the earth. Wooden beams. 
and they'd get that last little bit of coal out. And then when it was about ready and you'd hear the whole time you were working, my dad said you could hear the creaking of the mountain and the shifting of what was going on. And my grandfather was the expert in this. He knew the proper timing of it. And so they time it just right to where it's starting to really get to the point of, of, of a collapse. And, and they'd back away. And I, I assume they grabbed a, a ropes of some type or else it actually may have set an explosive charge. And, um, and they would pull out those last supports and as they pulled out those last supports, they'd collapse the seam. And he said whenever that happened, that, that there'd be this rush of wind. And so to me, I can't imagine anything more terrifying than being in a coal mine, pulling out the last supports, hearing the collapse of that. And as the wind would rush towards you, it blew out that carbon lamp. So my dad said he'd be in this pitch darkness. And I've been in caves before. I used to go caving in what were called wild caves down in Missouri. Wild caves meant they were on people's property and you were illegally going into them. This is not to be recorded, incidentally, okay? So, and so we'd go into these caves and roam around, and, and every, once, every time we do it, we'd turn off the, 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 the flashes at one point in time. And there's nothing like that pitch darkness. There is no darkness like that darkness. You can't see anything. You can't see anything. And so when they would collapse this, the lights would blow out. And, and my father told me how he'd be sitting there saying, Dad? 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 Yeah. That's exactly how my father would portray it. And even though it was dark and they'd try to relight those lamps up and eventually get them going again, hearing that voice in the darkness reassured my father. There's nothing like darkness. This passage of John, I want to walk you through quickly, is this. In the beginning was the Word. He's taking us back to that very starting point. This is important. So let's go there for a moment. Genesis chapter 1. It starts the same way. In the beginning. That phrase means Genesis. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face, surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. There was light, so there's darkness everywhere. In that moment, let there be light. And we're told that all of creation, Christ is, is the first agent. He's somehow the agent of creation. So there at the very beginning is this light, and something about it cannot be overcome or, or, or put away. This theme of light in the dark, this theme of the importance of light is throughout Scripture. In Revelation, so we start with Genesis. We, we, we see it again as the Scripture picks up again right after uh, um, the 400 years of silence or so in the New Testament with the same thing in the beginning. And at the end of Scripture, at the end of time, we're told in Revelations chapter 21, there's going to be this city of God. Basically, it's heaven. And, and, and everyone's gathered in who has come to follow Christ. And it says the city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The Lamb is the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, sacrificed for the sins of the world. So the Lamb is its lamp. Nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there'll be no night there. Some of you are historically savvy, and so you know the reason why that's being referenced there. It says, at no time, basically, on no day, Will its gates ever be shut? 
the city gates were only shut on two occasions. One is if there was war and they knew people were coming after them. But on a regular basis, the gates were shut. When? At nighttime. At nighttime. Maybe you leave your garage door open through the daytime. But if you're wise, you close it at night. You don't want some little creature wandering on in or, or some other person coming into the play. And so we close those things at night. We lock our doors at night. Sometimes in the daytime too, but, but at night. And so what's sitting here and saying is there's going to be a presence of light in such a way and no danger that there's never going to be a closing of these gates because there'll never be nighttime again. Revelation chapter 22 it folds right into this next uh, chapter. The last one of the entire scripture says, no longer will there be any curse. I'm not saying that he's not trying to say no longer will nobody ever swear at one another or, or cuss anyone out. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the curse that was laid on the entire planet and upon mankind at the fall of man back in Genesis, that there was a curse that was laid on the land. And it says there'll no longer be any curse. That's been lifted. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. This emphasis upon light at the beginning and at the end. In the beginning there's this darkness and God brings light into it. As the New Testament starts, there's an emphasis again that the creator, the original founder of that is going to come and, and, and is light to us. And then at the revelation, at the last part, it says there's not even going to be any more darkness ever again. Lightness is going to overcome everything. We've read this passage the last six Sundays, this being the sixth now, of Isaiah chapter nine. I love Isaiah. He's just a powerful prophet and he's poetic in what he says. And we've read this passage, so I want to read it to you, uh, what will be uh, at least one more time. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom, Isaiah chapter 9, for those who were in distress. In the past, it talks about the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and just keep a mark on that, because it actually is interesting. But in the future, he'll honor Galilee of the nations. That's a location, by the way, the sea beyond the Jordan. And then this part here, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Walking in the darkness, they see this great light. There's nothing like being in the dark and seeing the light of a farmhouse or something else down the line and realizing that's a place that you can go to for refuge. But living in the land of darkness, land, land of deep darkness, a light has somehow dawned in that. Now here's the thing that's really interesting to me on this. And I've touched on this, but I want to expand on this a bit. When Matthew is talking about Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, he references the fact that when John heard the, or Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, being talked about Isaiah. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, the same place that was referenced by Isaiah. This is prophecy being fulfilled. In other words, what Isaiah was talking about was talking about Jesus Christ. To fulfill what's said through the prophet Isaiah, and it says, the land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, we have sea, blah, blah, blah. But here's interesting, see if you can follow this. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, when you first glance at this, it looks identical, but it's not. And I know you don't have it close to match together here, 
So maybe you can flash that first scripture up for them again, Isaiah chapter 9. And if you look at it, it says the people walking in darkness and they're in a land of deep darkness. Matthew makes a little adjustment. Go to Matthew now. And it says in this one, people living in darkness, not walking. Now they're living in that place. There's not a progression of walking. They're just stopped. They're there living in it. There's no attempt even to get out of it or ability to because in this next one, it doesn't even say deep darkness. It says shadow of death. Things have progressed now from people that may have at least been walking or, or, or there was a deep darkness to, to now living in this place. There's a subtleness in the shadow of death. This is us. Where we live. In this place of death and destruction. And in the midst of this, it says there's going to be this light that's going to penetrate and come in just like that doorway picture we saw earlier where everything's dark but there's suddenly this light that comes through and pierces the darkness. David at one point in time is celebrating a win and he has a whole song he sings in 2 Samuel in the 22, 22nd chapter but one part of it says, you Lord are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. He has an, a vision of God in this way. Going back to John, though, this fisherman turned philosopher. He talks at one point in time uh, as he reveals Jesus' own words because Jesus picks up this theme in John chapter 8 when Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the 12th chapter, same book, 42nd verse, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus sees himself in this way. He has a clear sense of purpose. And one of those primary purposes is to bring light to dark situations. In 2 Corinthians, Paul picks up the same thing that David picks up in the Old Testament. Paul picks up in the New Testament. In Second letter to the Corinthians, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. What's he referencing? Let light shine out of the darkness. When did God say this? He said it in the beginning of the whole creation, let there be light. He's referencing back to Genesis. The same God that said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory and displayed in the face of Christ. This is the precursor to the passage that says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. This all surpassing power is from God, not from us. We live in darkness. For some of us, we prefer to live in darkness. There's a website called the Experience Project, and it describes itself as the place to share, quote, life experiences from people like you. Five years back, this, this website had over 36 million visitors. That was five years ago. Visitors of the site are asked to share their thoughts about life experiences by answering questions like, what does loneliness feel like? Who do you want to spend time with? Or what is your favorite pastime? When dark closes in on us, it isolates. It makes us feel alone. It makes us feel detached. It makes us lose our bearings. We're not sure what real and what is not real, 
what direction to go, how to move, where any help comes from. In one post, readers were asked to respond to the following statement, quote, I prefer darkness over light, and they were asked to respond to that. A young woman going by the screen name Beyond Repair offered a particularly honest and insightful response to this. This was her response of Beyond Repair to I Prefer Darkness Over Light. She writes, I prefer darkness over light, though darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you cannot see what is coming next. The darkness is a place you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because then you are free from what you were and can be what you want. She writes, the darkness is bliss. So says, beyond repair. But the whole message of the gospel from beginning to end is that the darkness was meant to be overcome by the light. That we were to be brought into the light. That we're to be transformed by that and given hope. Brought out of isolation, out of darkness, to have a direction and a pathway. In John chapter 1 verses 9 through 14, he continues on. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then this line, the word, he goes back to that. This integrating principle of all life, this source behind everything of creation. The word became flesh. This is where all the philosophers completely freak out, say, no, 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 it's, a, it's an intellectual construct. It's a philosophical thought. It's not something that could ever become flesh. And he says here, no, the word, the logos, that light, that creative force became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, literally pitched his tent in the middle of our gathering. And we have seen his glory, says John, this ignorant fisherman turned philosopher and writer, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There are two gatherings of us here today. The one gathering of us are people who we prefer the dark because our deeds, the scriptures say, are dark. Or because of how we've been wounded and hurt in the past and we prefer to hide in that dark. It's actually a comfort. As disturbing as it is and as debilitating and, and limiting, it's where we prefer to be because at least it's familiar. God came in the person of Christ to say, that is not how you should live that I've come to call you out of that, to bring you into the light, to bring you into the truth and the reality of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. And that's what this whole holiday is about. There are others of us who accept that. We have followed Christ. We pursue him. And yet still, even as we've known the light, even as we've experienced that, we have found ourselves going into dark places, sometimes by our own hand, sometimes by others' hands.
that we find ourselves in this place of darkness. And it, it gets so to the point that we forget what light even looks like. We forget what the presence of God even felt like. All we can see is the darkness gathering around us. The lights have blown out. No one answers our call when we cry out, Dad, Dad. And Christ is here to say to us today that that is a lie that no one hears us. That he always hears us. And that he's here even in that place and time now to bring us out of that and to walk us through that if we will yet rise up one more time yet to trust him. I have one more picture I want to show you, and it's a ridiculous picture in many regards, as I give you the context for it. In January 1994, an earthquake lasting up to 20 seconds hit the San Fernando Valley region of Los Angeles, California. In Los Angeles, causing nearly $20 billion in damages and the deaths of nearly 60 people. Much of the city's power was lost because of the quake. Radio and television stations were knocked off the air. That night, the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles began to receive odd phone calls from panicked citizens reporting a, quote, strange sky. And they speculated that perhaps the silver cloud above them somehow may have caused the earthquake. They were freaked out in the dark by this strange silvery cloud. And after some confusion, the director of the observatory realized what was going on. With the city lights made powerless by the earthquake, for the first time maybe ever, the people living in Los Angeles looked up and saw a dark sky. The scary, smoky, silver cloud they reported. We call it the Milky Way. We call them stars. In other words, a picture like this is what they saw and promptly freaked out. Today, two-thirds, I'm told, of the United States population and one-fifth of the world cannot even see that picture and that view because of the light pollution that we have. <sighs> We've become so wrapped up in our technology so caught with the artificial lights that we create that when the real thing manifests itself, we can't even comprehend it. We don't understand it. We're frightened by it. We're set back. From Genesis to Revelation, we're told that light is an expression of God. After 400 years of silence, John, this fisherman turned philosopher, begins to speak about this light again. Jesus identifies himself as this. David prays for it. Paul cites it as, as the central thing going back again to creation. This is woven throughout the scriptures and all this comes in the form of a baby in the midst of a manger 
God in the flesh there to pitch his tent amongst us. To walk amongst us. To become the Lamb of God sacrificed and slain for the world. To bring light to those who may not even want it. Who don't comprehend it and fight it. And many won't. But there are some who do. And this morning, if you're one of those, if you're one of those that that you can sense even at this holiday season that God is calling you to follow him, to embrace him, then I want to pray with you. And if there are those of you who have been followers for years but you've lost sight of this, the twisted darkness of the society around us has blinded you to the glory of that is God in his universe. Then to that end, I also want to pray with you. I literally want to pray with you. And so this morning, I'm going to ask quickly, if you just close your eyes, bow your heads with me for a moment, and I would ask if there are those of us in this gathering that you want to commit your life to Christ on this Christmas weekend, that you want to come out of the dark and embrace him, accept his sacrifice, Live your life free of those things, of the guilt and the pain. If that's you today, then with no one looking around, just quickly lift your hand up. I want to pray with you right where you're at. Yeah. This is your time. Anyone else, just quickly. Then before I go any further, I ask this. For those of you who have been long-time believers, but you have found yourself in a place of darkness that has been isolating been painful you've moved from just walking to now living in it from a place of darkness to now it's become a place of death for you and this morning you seek relief from your God if that's you just lift your hand up before your God right now wherever you're at Father we come before you and Lord for these first grouping of people I ask Lord that right now you would penetrate the darkness of their moment with the light of your joy and of your forgiveness that they confess their sin before you that they'd be lifted up and freed Lord God saved Lord for others of us who have struggled in darkness for what seems to be an interminable time and that sense of isolation has, has struggled within us Lord God pierce the darkness today with your truth Draw us out of that place of, of darkness and depression and isolation and, 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 and just laying there, God. And bring us in once again to the joy of your presence. Be that light that shines in the darkness. Be that light that penetrates. Be that light that broadcasts throughout the entire city. That those who follow you would no longer know darkness, but would know your truth your freedom, your grace, your joy, your love, your forgiveness, your sacrifice, they would know you. Shine on us. Isaiah the prophet says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Father, I pray your blessing upon this congregation and all the family included, Lord God. 
I pray, Lord, that this season would be a time of light and celebration. I pray, Lord, that as we receive your light, that we'd go into this new year with a fresh perspective. We praise you, we honor you, and we lift you up today. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Amen.